have a good time. Hey, guess what's coming up, everybody? Let's see it. This is the new uh, ad for Easter, maybe. Um, getting there. There it is. How's it look? You guys like it? I worked like 20 minutes on that. Um, so anyways, um, that, that's our thing. I'll, what I'll do is, is I'll put that on Facebook and Instagram, the church's um, Facebook and Instagram. And then if you guys would do me a favor, and over the next couple of weeks, if you would share that, um, share it with Tooele411 until they email me and tell me, threaten to kick me off their site because we got too much advertising going on on their site. But, um, but share it anyways. I can only share it once or twice a week, but if everybody's sharing it, what? I heard something. No. Huh? Yeah, see, I guess I didn't know that, but Grant's not, and Twill, I guess, has a 4 or I'm sorry, Stansberry also has a 411? I think, I think Stansberry does, too. But, yeah, we should, you guys need to do that, because I don't have either one of those. I have the Twill one, but I don't have the Stansberry and the Grantsville, but for sure. And then I got some flyers, some invite flyers. Um, I came here, and we have a copy machine now in the Sunday school. I was at the UPS store yesterday, and I was thinking I needed to go there and print these, and I don't know why it didn't dawn on me. We have our own copy machine. We bought it over the summer, and it's fancy, and... It'll work, but I don't have cardstock, so um, so I just I just made a couple. So if you guys want to grab one today on Sunday, I'll get them on cardstock, so they're a little bit nicer. You guys can use them as invites, um, and then it just basically you know you can put one on your fridge. You can give them to your friends. But Easter is um, a great opportunity for us to share the gospel. It's a great opportunity for us to invite people to church because lots of people are looking for somewhere. Lots of people who don't normally go to church are looking for somewhere excuse me, to go to church on Easter Sunday. So th- we've done things different over the years a little bit, but we've, we've always done traditionally a sunrise service. And um, sunrise is something that my wife has never in her life um, missed a sunrise service. And, and so um, it's been a big deal. And it was, it was always a big deal for us in California. We did it in the snow the first year. We, we used to do it down at the park when I first got here at, at Pratt Aquatic Center. And we do it at 6.30 in the morning at the park. And one year we showed up and there's snow on the ground. And then the next year we came and there was so much snow we couldn't have the service there. So on the, at the last minute, we came back and we set it up in our own parking lot. And then we put signs down there at the park telling everybody to come over here because there was too much snow. And, um, um, and, then, and then it worked in our parking lot. So the next couple of years, we just did it right out here in the parking lot. But I, I kind of took me a while. Okay, It took me like five years, but I think I got it. Um, I, I just don't think that sunrise is a Utah thing. You know, maybe it's just a California thing. I know Pastor Jackie, who left from California and now pastors in Buell, Idaho, they, they eventually scrapped their sunrise, too. We could do it inside, but it's just not the same thing. And uh, my wife is uh, flipping out. She says, I'm going to California because I'm not missing my first sunrise at 38 years old. And I said, all right, then you go to California. Um, so she's not – she didn't say it like that. It was much worse. Um, but uh, – so, so anyways, it, it is what it is, so here's what we're going to do, and I really, really encourage you guys, I really hope to see everybody get involved as a church, we're going to do breakfast instead of sunrise this year. So at 8.30, we're going to serve everybody a free breakfast, okay, but that means you've got to show up, okay, so from 8.30 to 9.30, we're just going to eat and fellowship and love one another, and then at 10 o'clock, we're going to have one um, Easter service in here at 10 o'clock, so that's, that is what it is. That'll be new for me, too, because I always preach two services on on Easter, I preach the first half and then the, at sunrise, and the second half, so we'll have to do it all at once. So, um, wear some wear some cushions um, in your back pockets for sunrise. It might be a minute. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that to you. 
And, and then we'll try to, you know, we're going to try to rearrange the chairs maybe a little bit for Easter Sunday to anticipate a, a little bigger crowd. We always get our biggest crowd of the year on Easter Sunday. So really encourage you guys. It's important for um, you um, to, to serve in this capacity and, and be a part of um, making Easter special every year. And it's just a great opportunity as Christ followers to, um, to serve Jesus in that way, invite people, encourage people, bring people, pick people up. I saw um, one church. One church's ad for their Easter sunrise service was they, they, the ad was it had a circle in the middle where you put your own picture of yourself, and it was an invite, and then it said um, something to the effect of, um, I'm picking you up at such and such time. So then you'd give it, it was a picture of yourself, and it would say to the person, I'm picking you up for church on, on Easter Sunday. And then they were encouraging their people to go and pick people up, encouraging them to come. So, um, and, and why do we do that, you guys? What's the purpose of that? Is it so the church can grow and that I can feel better about myself? And that, you know, I mean, what, what's the purpose? What are we doing? Like, what, what is the, the heart right behind this, this push and this encouragement to invite people, to bring people, to share the gospel, right? It's, it's to reach people for Jesus, right? That's, that's obviously the vision and the goal. And it's a call of all of our lives is, is to go and, and share the gospel, to share your faith. We talked about um, the concept, and I won't preach it today, but that as Christ followers, one of the things that we're supposed to be is missional, okay? That, that the, the church of Revelation, in, in the book of Revelation, the church of Philadelphia, one of the, the greatest compliments God gave them was that they were a church on mission. They were a church that did mission. And those missions were, were both, um, we talk, when we talk about missions, we oftentimes think of going to Mexico or going to Tijuana or going somewhere third world and, and, and serving food or something. That, that is a mission. We do those types of missions. But, but being missional is, is being a person, a Christ follower, who understands that part of your life and part of who you are is to share your faith and to be on mission of, of sharing with your friends, your family. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell. That's the bottom line. People, people without Jesus are dying and going to hell. And if you have something that can save people from eternal hellfire, why would you not want to share that with them? Why would you not have a burning passion to tell people in love the truth, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a hard uh, line to walk, right? It's a hard concept, right? Because we, we're not effective if we're going around telling everybody, you know, turn or burn or you're going to hell. And, you know, that's, that's not our message, you know, but that is the truth. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so we want to just be out there telling people um, the truth. And, you know, again, I encourage you guys with this. We're responsible for who responds because that's, that's God's problem. That's God's job. Um, you know, you're not responsible even necessarily for, you know, your effectiveness. You're, you're responsible and you're required based on your what? obedience and your faithfulness to, to do what it is that God called you to do. Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We are ready for, um, we are ready for, hey, Brian, since you're up and moving around, dude, can I con you out of a bottle of water or something? Thank you. Um, um, first, first Sam, I'm sorry, Second Samuel uh, chapter 12 is where we're ready for tonight. So last week, uh, I wasn't here, so we, we had a one-week break, and uh, Pat and Jay and those guys shared, and then... Uh, uh, Pat shared with you guys a little bit, and I heard it went well. Everybody did a great job, so excited for those guys, and um, went to Arizona. But two weeks ago when I was here, we, we wrapped up by giving you guys a reading assignment. So let's see who remembered and who actually did their reading assignment. Nobody. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't give you a chance. So we do have some. Whoop, whoop. Um, so the reading assignment was Psalm 32 and 
Very good, very good. And both of those, Psalm, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, had to do with what? What did we talk about? What was the concept we were talking about? I heard it over here. Repentance. The concept that we left off with last week when we left was the idea that as, as Christ followers, one of the functions that we have is, is to repent. It's, it's, it's a skill. It's, a, it's something that... Um, so we say, we say that you get, you get saved once. Like you, you don't need to continue to get saved. Once you got saved, once you've given and committed your heart to Jesus, you're saved. Okay? Um, you, you repent once unto salvation. Jesus, I, I realize as a sinner, your heart breaks, your heart surrenders to God, and you ask God to come in your life and be your Lord and Savior. You've opened your life up to him. God comes in your life. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which moment of salvation, God fills you with the Holy Spirit, and, and you repented once unto salvation. Okay? Now, for the rest of your life, do we continue to repent? Or, or is that something we just do one time, get saved, and then we don't need to do it anymore because the blood of Jesus forgives all sins? No, repentance is an act for us as Christians that we continue to do. We've only done it, we only, you only need to do it once unto salvation, and then a, a numerous amount of times unto well, uh, a Christian word that we call sanctification. Okay? Sanctification um, is, is a process by how we are sanctified. And what does sanctified mean? Sanctified basically is a fancy Bible word that means how we become more like Jesus, how we grow in our faith to become more Christ-like. Do you, do you know that the word Christian is in the Bible twice? Yay, nay. Both in the book of Acts, right? At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is preaching in Rome, and the guy he's preaching to says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. The word Christian in the Bible. Before that, in Acts chapter 11, we see where it says, and this is narrative by the writer Luke, the author of Acts. He says it was first in Antioch, the city of Antioch, where they were called Christians. And that's where we get the term. It comes, it's, it's mentioned twice in the Bible. So Paul, in his life, while he, the church was growing, Paul was planting churches. And then in Antioch was the first place where some, who, whoever the person was, just some, I don't know, some cool cat right in Antioch that just was that guy, you know, and, and he started calling them Christians. And it stuck. And, and what does the word Christian mean? Okay, Shan, T-A-I-N, means likeness or like. Christ, Shan, Christian. Christ-like, or um, real technically, the word Christian means little Christs, not, not that we are, but, but we're types of, right? So, so that we want to be, and the whole idea of being a Christ follower is that we do what? What Christ did, right? And, and, and honestly, you can tell who people follow and what they are because we're going to do what um, our God, our leader, our, 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 our example does. And so the whole idea of what we're trying to do is come from where we are to become more like Jesus every day of our lives. That's called growing in Christ, growing in our faith, right? We often say that. Sometimes you'll hear me say something like, man, that brother's on fire. Man, that guy's growing in Jesus so fast. And when you hear me say that term, on fire, what am I saying? I'm saying that they're, they're, they're moving from the place of who they are to the place of becoming more like Jesus in a very fast way. And, and they're on fire. They're moving fastly through this process. And again, we've talked about the concept of, of, of that process. Now, that process 
is called what? It's the big Christian word we started this whole conversation with. It's what? What is it? Sanctification. That's, that's the Bible word that I'm talking about. Sanctification. Okay? We repent once unto salvation. We repent the rest of our lives unto sanctification. That process of us becoming more like Jesus, right? And so, um, so in that, we get, we get a biblical lesson. And where we left off last week, and it's, I, I'm, I'm camping right here, you guys, for a reason. I think it's super important that we, uh, we grasp this, that we get this in our hearts, that we live this out in our lives, that what God desires from each one of you. And last week in the message, which we'll go to a different kind of area today um, when we get there, but last week when we went through this, we, we painstakingly spent this portion of the sermon talking about the heart that God is looking for, the heart of repentance. And, and remember, we used the example of how David it really in action in a lot of ways was a rotten person, and he, made, he did lots of rotten deeds, but yet God has the most highest praise for his servant, King David. And the highest um, um, responsibility that he gave to King David. And, and King David has an elevated position in God's kingdom and in God's opinion. And yet he was a man who, but, but David was a person who had a heart that really loved God. He had a heart that just wanted what God wanted for him. He just had a heart that, that desired God. Now that quality, why is that quality so, 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 so important? And why did... In this chapter, the power of, of chapter 11 and 12, that we understand it. Because listen, Christianity, like marriage, like taxes, like things that are very complicated and multifaceted, they're, they're, they're very difficult to understand and to navigate. Christianity is so difficult. There's so many different things and there's so many different religions and so many different approaches and attacks and, and, and that it gets daunting. And what Satan wants to do is he, he purposely wants to saturate the gospel. He wants to saturate Christ's followers. He wants to saturate us and you with all of these different things to the point of confusion where you give up. Never give up. Never give up. There is a way. And, and because there's so many things you've got to remember and so many things that you've got to do to be a Christ follower, and, and the Bible can be so hard at times to understand and figure out, there is a key that will help you navigate a straight line. And there's a promise from God's word that you absolutely cannot, will not miss the will of God for your life. And that is have a heart that loves Jesus. And if you have a heart that loves Jesus and desires God, you're going to find him. You're going to find his will. You're going to know what God wants in your life. You're going to know what's true in the word of God. You're going to be able to discern the lie and you're going to be able to break away from the, all the clutter that, that Satan has tried to put around um, us as Christ followers to confuse us. And it's not going to be a daunting task. Jeremiah 29:11. Anybody know that verse? Okay. It's, it's on posters. It's on pictures in people's homes. For I know the thoughts that I think toward the Lord, to give you a future and a hope. I missed his middle section. <laughs> you know the verse. You know that I think towards you for the Lord. I have a plan for good and not for evil to give you a future. Um, that's not the best verse in Jeremiah 29. <laughs> the best verse in Jeremiah 29 is actually in verse 13. And in verse 13, God says, if, if you seek me, your whole heart, you will 
finally, a promise, a guarantee. So again, you know, and this is what I say on that all the time, right? Because as a have people tell me all the time, and you, you'll deal with it as well. Oh, I prayed the sinner's prayer and nothing happened. Everybody tell you that? I read the Bible and nothing happened. I, I, I tried to pray and God didn't answer me. Well, here, here, here's the problem, right? That the person that's telling you that, either they're a liar or God is a liar, right? And, and maybe they're not evil, you know, vindictive liars that are purposely trying to deceive, but, but they're not telling the truth. And, and, and the reason is because God's word says that if you, search, if you search for me with all your heart, you will absolutely find me. So the problem is not that, that God didn't show up. The problem is that that person didn't come with a sincere heart because it's the heart that matters. It's the heart that God's looking for, right? So, um, so I don't want to lose you guys because I think I'm starting to lose you a little bit on the, on the, on the um, I want to keep the, the main thing, the main thing, what we're talking about. We're talking about repentance and we're talking about the, the way that we accomplish that repentance is through a the heart. fewest words. What we're talking about is having a heart of repentance. Amen. Okay. You guys want to have a heart of repentance. I'm telling you, you need to have a heart of repentance to be a successful Christ follower. You need to, to have a heart that breaks. A heart that, that wants God, that knows God, that loves God. Maybe you're here today and you, you, you don't have that heart or you haven't experienced that. But that, that's not something that should discourage you. It's something that should motivate you. Just just to God. I mean, how, right, let's check this out. How amazing is it that the God of heaven, the creator of the heaven and the earth, all that's in him, wants to know you intimately and personally and invites you into personal fellowship to spend time with him. To know him, to know his heart, to, to spend eternity with him, to bless you, to care for you, to meet your needs, to provide for you, to do miracles in your life, to allow you hardship to teach you, to be to, be to you a good, good father. And so that, that heart um, that, that we really all need and want is a heart that King David had in spades. It's a heart that God allowed us to see on steroids, right? You, you know the, the entire um, life and, and biblical story, not the entire, I shouldn't say that, but, but the key, one of the keys to the biblical lesson of the life of Solomon, David's son, was that same idea. Solomon had something in spades. He had something so, um, so much that it paints a picture for the rest of us. Solomon had everything in the flesh that, that one human could ever desire. And what God did in one person's life was allowed Solomon seven pleasures and seven experiments that Solomon could fully achieve and get to the top of Mount Everest on every one of them and look over and see the accomplishment of what that, that experiment did in his life. And, and Solomon got to the top and he looked over said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's cotton candy. He spit it in the mouth, and it doesn't fulfill the stomach. And he came down off the mountain just sad and depressed because it didn't fill the hole in his life, right? So what were those Mount Everest that Solomon got to the top of? And what did he look out and see? Something that you and I will never in our lives ever see. 
Because for us, we, we have these ideas that certain things bring us pleasure. So one of Solomon's experiments was physical pleasure, sexual pleasure, women, relationship. And so he started multiplying wives to himself. 700 wives. You think he was done? You think he was satisfied? He wasn't satisfied. And so he added 300 concubines. Solomon had a thousand women at his disposal. And, and he, he had the, the height, the Mount Everest experience of pleasure and God allowed it so that the one guy in history that got finally over the wall looked over and said, hey guys, what, what you think is over there, what, what you think is going to fulfill your life and your heart, it's not there. And then he came down and he said, what am I going to do now? And God allowed Solomon, King Solomon, to go to the top. And, and what happens? We, we die, right? chasing those dreams that Solomon had. But we never get anywhere near the top of the mountain. We never get to look over. So we live our whole lives saying, if, if I got to the top, I would find what I'm looking for. So then Solomon began with education. And Solomon became the wisest man in the whole world. And when he finally conquered <coughs> education and learning and higher learning and, and those things, he got to the top of that mountain, he looked over. And what did he say? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And that's the story of, of, of Solomon. And God allowed that in one guy's life to show us money, power. Solomon was the, was the wealthiest guy that's ever lived in human history. King Solomon, this is how much money he had. He had so much money, the Bible says, that at one point in his life, they just stopped counting it. It was just too much to count. So he just kept piling it up, the gold and silver, but never counted it because it was just too much to count. Solomon's reputation was worldwide when Solomon lived. It was so much so that that, that while he was still alive, the stories of the greatness of Solomon had traveled and they made it to the ears of a queen in a foreign country. Remember her? Queen of Sheba, the queen of Ethiopia. And she heard about the magnificence of Solomon. He built the the, the seven wonders, one of the type seven wonders of the world things, hanging gardens and, and things that Solomon had accomplished in his life. And she heard about this, and so she, she travels from Ethiopia to Israel to find this king and see if it's true what she heard. And what did she say when she got there? Do you guys remember? She said, I heard of your, your glory and your majesty and your accomplishments. And, and when I got here, it far exceeded any of the rumors. It, it was way more than anything that I had even heard of. It was so magnificent. And, 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 and yet Solomon, all of that is empty. Why? Because all everything in the, that the world has to offer you will never fulfill. Only God in your life. Only the, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Only a life in eternity with Jesus. Jesus said about um, the, the type of a Solomon life for folks. He said, if you gain this whole world and you lose your soul, you made a bad deal. If you gain this whole world and you don't go to heaven you got a really bad deal. But would it be worth for you to put your soul in, to, to sacrifice your, your soul or sell your soul to the devil? What, what would your price be? And Jesus said, no matter what you got, you made a really bad deal. You traded your soul for it. And, and Solomon got the only deal that was the, the greatest deal that was ever out there and, and, and realized that just it didn't fulfill. So in, in that Solomon-like like picture of that, David is the same when, when it comes to the heart 
of repentance, the heart that's a, that, that's a man after God's own heart. And that's what, that's what God says about David, is that David was a man after my own heart. To, for history, for eternity, the, 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 um, the title that God put over David's life was that David was a man after my own heart. And so, that, so why do I stress all that? Because, again, when we want to learn this one key to Christian living and Christian faith, we learn it from the life of David. And, and part of that is David teaches us what it means and, and how it applies when we repent. So let's, let's check out your reading assignment real quick. Let's go to, hold your finger in 1 Samuel 12, and let's start with Psalm 32. says, a psalm of David of contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So David is describing the period of the time between when he killed Uriah the Hittite and a year later when Nathan the prophet comes and he confesses his sin. And on the outside, David was king and everything was great. David was actually looking to the people around him like a hero. Why? Because when, when Uriah, this, or I'm sorry, when Bathsheba this widow of, a, of an Israeli soldier's husband dies. David brings her into the palace and takes care of her. What a nice guy. And, and everybody around is, is, is singing. And David, for a year, this is, this is what really is going on in his heart at night. He's struggling. His bones are heavy. He's not sleeping well. He's, he's, he's struggling through this season. And, and what would release him from this struggle? Eventually, we'll, we'll see that when David finally confesses and gets it off his chest, um, that, that he'll be um, confessed. In verse 5, it says, When I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Just briefly, that word Selah, S-E-L-A-H there, it's a, it's a word that means stop, pause, and meditate on these things. In the simple, Selah means meditate on this, okay? A lot of people believe the word Selah there because the Psalms were written, a lot of them as songs, and they were sang as songs, and they were composed as hymns and songs. And so even, um, um, you know, as Jesus and the disciples sang a song, they, they, they had sung one of the Psalms of David. And so it could have been a musical note, a part in the song. But it's, it's a pause, it's a godly pause, Selah there. And so it's mentioned, um, verse 4, verse 5, pause, meditate on these things. And, and so David is, um, his bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. And at night your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand was on him. So during the day he struggled. At, when he got ready for bed, he could feel the, 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 the God's hand calling him to repentance. And in that state of unrepentance, you, you, you have to live somewhat at a distance from God. You know that you can't face God because you, you have something you have to deal with and you can't relationally, you're not going to be close to God until you deal and confess the sin that's in your life and ask God to forgive you. And, and those things, our sins, keep us from God. Now, now I'm going to tell you conceptually, right? Um, 
God's love for you, listen, this is important. God's love for you doesn't change. God said, if you make your bed in hell, I'm with you. And God said, neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor things present, nor things in the future can separate you, and on and on and on, can separate you from the love of Jesus, love of Christ, which is in Jesus, the love of Jesus, which is in Christ. I'm not doing so good on my scripture memory today. Um, but you got the point. Neither height nor depth can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus. Um, so love for you doesn't change. God doesn't love you any less. And, and, and firstly, he doesn't love you anymore. He can't love you. And the example I always give, good or bad, is tonight's a Wednesday night. I'm proud of you guys. You came tonight to study God's word and the word and grow. But had you decided at 6 o'clock tonight you were going to go over to Broadway and hang out at the Piccadilly Peddler, bar was called when I was a kid, but I don't know what it is over here, but the dive bar at home was the Piccadilly Peddler. But if you decided to go and dry, that's the other one. So if you decided to go over to High and Dry tonight and have a couple beers and hang out with the folks over there, whether you're in church or at High and Dry, God's love for you doesn't change. It can't change. God loves you. But what does change? What changes is relationship. What changes is intimacy and closeness, right? You know, like, right, men? Like when we want to be intimate with our wives, process, right? Starts at like 8 in the morning, you know, that day, and eventually if everything goes well and you do everything by maybe, you know, and it's a long process, and, it, 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 you know, for, for, for guys, we got a switch. We just flip the switch, we're ready to go. Women don't have a switch. They're like, a, like an electric stove that heats up slowly, and then hopefully gets hot and then cools down slowly, right? And, and, and as men, relationally, we know that, that if, if we're not right relationally with our wives, we can't be in the middle of a big fight and then, and then expect her to be intimate with us. It's not going to work. Um, we wouldn't have any problem with it, of course, but, but it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. It's not going to happen. And so relationally, my wife and I are intimate until we, we clear the air, right, until we get out of the way what, what it is that's keeping us from coming together in intimacy. So, so going to the bar tonight, it doesn't change God's love for you, but relationally it, it creates a distance in your relationship with God. And, and, and that little distance right there is why Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because he didn't want for a moment to not be relationally like this with God and intimate with God. And so, um, so King David, he's going through that. He, he's having to hide from God. Imagine he's, he's not able to pick up his Bible. Do you guys ever been there? I've been there a lot of times. And I've been going through something, and, I, and I'm afraid of what God wants to say to me. I'm, afraid, I'm in trouble. And, and the last thing I want to do is open the Bible up to, like, you know, lamentation somewhere on accident and, and read that, God's going to, you know, crush my skull or something, you know, like, or something's going to go south in, in some of those verses that, and you find that in these, these ominous things and you're, you know, and, and so David is there. He's, he's kind of hiding from God. Relationally, he's not right with God and it's bothering him. His bones are becoming heavy until verse five, when he finally confesses. And then, um, and then in verse six, and then God forgave his sin. What happened in verse, in verse five? I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what? Was it that simple? Just like you read it on that page? And God forgave the iniquity of his sin? And he forgets it too. Praise God, right? Did, did God prescribe in verse 5 
15 Hail Marys and 20 lashes on his own back and, and other things that punitive things that he needed to do in order to get right with God? Is that what God did? But we don't, but we don't see that, right? We don't see that anywhere in the Bible. The heart of God that just says, you're forgiven, I love you. But, but listen, it doesn't come like just, just I don't want to make it so simple that, that you don't understand. It comes and it's granted not based on Hail Marys, not, not, to, not to pick on any churches or, or make any doctrinal statements. I'm just saying not on any punitive type of action you do. It's based on the heart and the condition of your heart. And had David come and David wasn't broken and David got to verse 5 and he confessed his sins, but his heart wasn't in the right place and his heart wasn't broken, the second half of verse 5 would not have read that way. It would not have been just that simple, powerful forgiveness of God that came into his heart. It was a condition of his heart. But David got somehow, somehow, David got to a place where he had a broken and a contrite heart. And what you don't read in verse 5, which we'll read in Psalm 51, is where the heart of David was in this moment. But the heart of David was valuable. It was golden. And God loved it. And when God saw David's heart, he said, looked at his own heart, looked at David's heart, and he said, that one looks just like mine. That's a guy after my own heart. And then, and then he grants this, this forgiveness in verse 5. And then in verse 6 it says, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. And surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come near. Let's go to Psalm 51. And we're going to catch the second half of this in Psalm 51. Um, in Psalm 51, David again writes Psalm 51 at the time of Psalm 32. And this is at the time where Nathan comes to David about the, the sin of Bathsheba. Now, this one's a little bit longer, and I need to find. It says in verse 1, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who will seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah Borg, who called you and blessed him in increase. I'm in Isaiah. I'm like, I'm starting to get nervous. I'm like, I turned and I saw a 51 and I'm like, going on? I'm looking at it and I'm like, this doesn't look right, but it's there. I know it's there. (laughs) All right. Let's try again. How did I get to Isaiah 51? Maybe that was one of those things where the Lord wanted to reprimand me or something and he had to take me over there to tell me what he wanted to tell me. All right. Psalm 51. Here we go. A title over Psalm 51. I didn't see that either. All right. So the title over Psalm 51. A Psalm of David when Nathan he had gone in to have mercy on me, O God. O God, according to your kindness, according to I'll tell you that part of what repentance means is to acknowledge your transgressions. It means to acknowledge that you're you have broken the heart of God. The, the word repent means to agree with God. You're agreeing that, that, that what God says is true and that that, that action offended God or that it, it, it was against God's um, law and will for your life. Now, again, real quickly, and I don't want to spend time on this because I, need to, I could preach a whole sermon on this, this next little point. But listen, the, the reason why God calls things sin in your life, and, and I say that you agree that you've broken God's heart, that you've broken God's law. What is the purpose of God's law? 
What is the purpose? Why are things sin in your life? Why, is it, why, why have you sinned against God if you commit adultery, if you, if you cuss somebody out, if you get angry, if you look upon a woman lustfully? Is that because God, um, he, he just decided arbitrarily one day that those things are bad and these things are good and these things are sin and you shouldn't do them and these things are allowable? That's kind of sometimes our concept of God. And for some folks, we have a concept of God that, that he's impersonal. And, and, and if you closed your eyes and tried to picture what Father God would look like in heaven, you might see some big flowing robe and big throne and a guy with his legs crossed and a big white beard. And he's stroking his beard and he's looking down on earth, seeing who he can zap with lightning. Sinner, you jaywalked! You know, like this impression of God that waiting to zap you and, and kill you. Now listen, everything in the Bible, everything in life, that, that, that God identifies as a sin that we need to repent of is because he's a good, good father and it's bad for you. How many of you guys have kids? Okay, how many of you guys are kids? Okay, now whether you had a good father or a bad father or a good mom or a good mom or bad mom or good home, you all have a heavenly father who's perfect. Okay, so you don't have any excuses. But as parents, we'll just take it as parents. As parents, we have rules for children, okay? How many of you guys, um, if, when you had little kids, you know, the age of my daughter, Gabrielle, two and a half, you, you, you thought it was cool and normal for her to take her, her toys and play sets and go out in the street in front of your house and set up her, her little sandbox in the street in front of your house where she could play. Anybody do that? <laughs> right? But, but again, as parents, those, those, we understand that we have rules for our kids. How about this? How many of you guys put a gate around the yard? so that when the kids played in the yard, they they couldn't get out into the street, right? And you locked the gate. But the purpose of everything that you you have for your kids is because you're a good, good father, mother. You love them. You you want to um, do what's best for them and right, and so you put these parameters. Now, God's the things that the parameters that God has put around your life, every one of them are the same. You know, Satan's going to try to lie to you. You know, the first lie that he told Eve, it's multifaceted, but the first lie that he told Eve is that God's not fair. What do you mean you can't eat of the, 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 the fruit, fruit of the knowledge of the good and evil? That God you serve, he's not very fair. He doesn't want what's best for you. He, he, why, why wouldn't he let you eat of it? He doesn't want you to have any fun. You know, and it's, 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 it's again, multifaceted, but it's, it's built into that lie that, that, that God is trying, is, is a tyrant. But, but that's not the point, right? And again, I said I could preach a whole sermon on this, and I don't want to, but um, when, when we sin against God, so we're back to that. The, the heart is that you, you acknowledge when you repent, and, and again, you have a heart. You know, there's some things that I've, that I've done in my life against God that I've sinned as a, as a pastor, as an adult, as a Christ follower, and um, it took me a season. Like, like David, it took him a whole year. And hopefully, you know, it doesn't take a year. But, but there's something that, that, that I'm just struggling with, and, and, and maybe I know it's wrong, I know it's sin, and I want to get it right. But, but I come to God in prayer, and I say, God, forgive me for this sin. But the reality is, the truth is, my heart's not really broken over that sin. I'm not really emotional about it. I'm not really, um, I'm, I'm not really in a place where, where, where I'm hurting because I know I've hurt the heart of my father. And, and, and that, that, that it hurts God's heart and it bothers me and it's, it's kind of surface. But I know I want to get right. And, you know, especially as, as, as someone, you know, as a preacher, as a teacher, 
you know, getting up on stage, I always want to make sure that my heart is right with God because I can never get up here if God doesn't come and stand right next to me. If Jesus isn't here, I'm going to fall off the stage and, you know, I'm, it, it's going to be bad. And so I, I, I beg him to not leave me up here alone. I beg him to come with me and be with me and that his presence be with me. But in order for God's presence to be with me, I have to be right with him. Relationally, I got I to gotta fix things, you know. You guys ever see me up here on Sunday and I'm uh, Wednesday and I'm crying? It happens all the time. You guys think, oh, he's so spiritual. No. I'm saying, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I'm begging for forgiveness for something going on in my life that I just need to get right. And, and, but you know what? Those tears are, are one of my favorite things in walking with Jesus. It really is. It's connection. It's that, it's that verse, chapter 31, verse 5, verse 6 moment where, where I finally got to that heart and God said, yes, I forgive you. I love you. And then when he says, I love you, it just crazy rocks you, right? Because you're just like, oh, okay, how could you love me? And, and yet he loves you so much that when you know that and you feel that, that it brings you to that point. But I'll tell you, um, it has to be sincere and honest. And I don't know how to accomplish that. You all have to accomplish that in your own heart, in your own way, by just being real and sincere with God as you pray, as you, as you repent over sins that are breaking God's heart. And, and you get to that point. And sometimes I struggle to get to a point of repentance. Sometimes it takes me a while to get to the point of repentance because it can't just be intellectual. It has to be uh, who, everything of who I am. It has to be, I don't know if emotional is the right word, but it, it has to be intrinsic and it has to be deep and it has to be emotional and it has to be real and heartfelt. And so, um, but it sometimes, and, and I ask God sometimes to help me get to that point. God, will you give me the heart that I need? I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. I'm not real broken over this thing. And I'm, I'm, I don't feel right about it. And I know it's sin and I want to get right. And I want to get to the verse, the second half of verse five. And here you say you forgive me and, and get right and move on. But I'm just not there yet. So I'm asking God, constantly asking God to, to do So that's the part. That was verse three. I acknowledge my transgressions. And then verse four, it says against you and you only have done this evil in your sight that you may be found when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and, and sin and in sin and my mother conceived me. So part of verse five, there's a theological uh, implication to verse five. It's found in other places in the Bible, but you were conceived in sin. So what does that mean? That means that we have, and one of the one of our basic Christian theology uh, creed doctrines is that um, you have a sin nature. Okay, so you 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 were born into sin, and, and the only way that that you can go to heaven, the only way that you can remedy that, is what Jesus taught in John chapter three, is to be what, born again. You have to be born again. Because the sin nature that you have. So meaning, again, if, if, you, if you were born and you lived a life perfect and sinless and got to heaven, you still don't get in even though you don't have any sins. And the criteria for getting into heaven is having no sins. Even though you didn't commit any sins, which is impossible, but if you did it, you still don't go because you were born in a sin nature. So you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. You must, as Jesus said, and when Jesus says must, Pay attention because you must. But the Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. So we must be born again because we all have, and again, that's just foundational to our faith, that we all have a sin nature. And then in verse 6, it says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Oh, I love that. God desires truth where? In the inward parts. What would be the difference? The inward parts and the outward parts. Why didn't David say, God, you desire truth that comes, that comes that truth would come out of my mouth? Truth would come out of your mouth is a good thing, right? 
But again, what I just talked about is if, if truth comes out of your mouth and confession comes out of your mouth, but it's not a condition of your heart, then, then it's not going to fly. It's not going to work because it's the inward part that is interested in your life. And then it says, um, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broke may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now, here we go. Now, I have verse 10 and 11 in my Bible highlighted, underlined, whatever, circled. I mean, this, this, this is the crux of the matter right here, okay? This is the heart of David in a nutshell. If you ever want to sum up the heart of King David in this study that I've given the last two weeks about a heart of repentance, a man after God's heart, it's found in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11. And it says, David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, um, you, you got You know, one of the things we don't get in as we read our Bibles, and, and I guess we could get it from the Holy Spirit, but we don't get it just by reading it, is what? We don't get intonation. We don't get um, how, how David said it, okay, right? For example, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, of Eden God would show up in the Garden of Eden before that, and Adam and Eve would walk in the, in the garden and hang out and talk, and Adam would go around and name the animals and whatever they named, what we call them today, and they had fellowship and relationship. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They went and they hid themselves. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves on themselves, and God showed up to meet with Adam as he normally did, and Adam was not there. And God said to Adam, Adam, where art thou? Adam, what have you done? Now, we don't know. How, how, did, how, how did it sound when God said that? Was it the voice of an arresting officer? Adam! Where are you? Adam! What have you done? Or was it the, the voice of a, of a father whose heart was broken? Adam, what did you do? Adam, where are you? But we don't get that, right? You've got to know the heart of God. You've got you to figure it out. Here in, in, Psalm, um, in David's heart, I mean, I can only imagine the, 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 the power by which David would say this, you know, create in me, O God, a new and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In verse 11, he says, and do not cast me away from, it's the key, guys. Absolutely the key, the key, the key, the key. We could go home. It's the key, but we're not going. We're going to keep preaching. Um, it, the key is the presence of God. And what was David's fear here? And what was David's summation and his conclusion and his greatest fear that would happen as a result of his sin if he didn't get it right is that he would no longer be in the presence of God. Do you have to be in the presence of God for God to love you? Hopefully you guys got what I've already, we, we've already determined. You don't have to be in the presence of God for God to love you greatly. You make your bed in hell, I'm there, neither height nor depth. Height and depth are, are separation from God. You don't have to be in the presence of God for him to love you. You have to be in the presence of God for intimacy and for closeness and for relationship. And so, um, you know, and this is, this is David's fear, was that, 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 that to hear God's voice, you have to be in his presence. To know he loves you, you don't, but to, to hear his voice, you do. To, to, to hear his heartbeat, you do. To, to be intimate and close to God, you do. So David says, do not take from me, do not cast me away from your presence 
And then the one that's so scary, he says, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to get into the theological uh, discussion, you know, at this late hour. And it's not important anyways. It's not what we're talking about. But whether, you know, for God to take his Holy Spirit away from somebody and the implications of that. And, you know, basically the implication of God removing his Holy Spirit from your life is hell. I mean, you know, because God doesn't, if Jesus is not in your life through the Holy Spirit, then you don't go to heaven. Because when God looks at you. He doesn't see you. He sees his son. He sees, his, he sees the spirit of God that lives in your life. And the reason why you don't have sin and the reason why you get into heaven because you're sinless is because Jesus was sinless and Jesus is all over you and in you and through the spirit of God who's made residency in your heart. So for God to take his Holy Spirit away um, is, is, again, but maybe that's not what David is even saying. Maybe we're not talking about a deep theological discussion about losing your salvation. Maybe we're just talking about... Um, an intimacy with God, a, a, a closeness, a, a relational thing where we've cleared all the air between us and we love and we, you know, when we, when we, when we walk through the mall, we hold hands and we, 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 we're not on opposite sides of the thing and we're not looking out the car window the other way, you know, so we don't have to look at each other as we drive down the street because we're, we're not close. We're talking about a, an intimacy with God that, that, that's a closeness and that is, is real. And so David says, um, and do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. All right, hey, this is the last one. And then I don't know, maybe we'll try to do some, or maybe we'll call it a night. But um, look, look at Psalm 139 real quick. I want you to see part of the illustration of the heart of David in this moment. But in Psalm 139, in verses 23 and 24, uh, how many of you guys have ever... Uh, been here at uh, Calvary Chapel for a uh, communion service when we received communion. Pretty much everybody, right? One of the things that you've heard me say almost every time we've ever done communion um, is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I say it to you every time. It comes from the heart of David. It comes from this very um, important aspect of Christian living that I'm trying to communicate through this message. And last week is, is having a heart that's broken and contrived. And, and even in that, look, look at the way David qualifies, King David qualifies this, um, um, this, this thing. He says in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So God, David is asking God in this moment of repentance, God, search my heart. And, and what he says is so powerful that only would come from the amazing articulation of King David, again, who, who, who could articulate in spades. We've talked about that already. Not, not too many people in human history have had the, the absolute gift that God gave King David to, to communicate into words what was on his heart. And he says, he says in, in, in that song, search me. And so what he's saying is, he, he's already repented. He's already cleared the air. He's already got done everything in his power to get right with God. And then there's still something in his mind that goes, hey, wait, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe there's just something left that I haven't cleared out yet that's, that's relationally causing a problem between me and God. And then he says, God, search my heart. And maybe there's something I don't even realize is, 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 is hurting your heart. Maybe there's something in my life that I don't even know God is, is creating problems. Search my heart and show me, Lord. 
And, and, and in that moment, maybe God would speak to him and say, David, this, this condition of your heart, this action that you're, you're doing, this thing that you're repeating is, is sin and, and it's, it's hurting my heart and it's hurting you. And, 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 and David wanted God to identify everything in his life. He didn't want to hold back anything from God. You know, that's the concept of salvation, right, for Christian living, is, is a full heart that fully 100% wants all that God has for you. And that's the heart of King David that, that we want to have. That's the heart that, 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 that the, the purpose of the life of King David, that's so screwed up on one end and so powerful on the other end, is a guy who pulls it all together because he had an absolute heart of gold and a heart of God. And, and in that heart, we see it all the way through 150 Psalms. He didn't write them all, but a lot of them. First and second Samuel, we get so much about King David. And we find a guy who just had a, had a right heart, man. And, and that's a heart we want to have. We can ask God for that. You guys can ask God for that, you know. Ask God to have a heart that's um, broken for him. Amen? Well, that brings me back to uh, chapter 12. And I'm looking at my clock, and I just, it's just not going to happen. Um. But that was the message, you guys, um, really out of 12. I think there's some things we could probably break down in 12. Uh, Brian, you guys want to close us in a song? Would that be okay? Um, let's do that. Let's, let's just uh, worship in a song. And then, you know, in the spirit of really what we've been studying, um, I want to encourage you guys to spend this song. Um, you know, maybe maybe you keep it on your phone or you keep it on your lap, but Psalm 139, 23, and 24, Psalm 51. And, and uh, hopefully you're starting to catch the grasp of it now and just pray and ask God, Lord, search me and see if there's any wickedness in my heart. Lord, do not take your, me away from your presence. God, fill me with your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And just, you know, really what we want to do is we want to practice and we get one song now. Let's practice that, that repentance that, that David taught us. And, and that repentance is, is an absolute gem of, of clearing the air between you and God of just staying, getting, and staying right with God in your lives. So, so if there's something you need to repent of, if there's something you need to get right, if you're not a Christ follower, you're not sure if you're saved, this is the time to say yes to Jesus. Just say yes. Say, Jesus, come in my life and my heart. I give you my life. I could lead you in a prayer, but I'll tell you that there's no magic in any words I lead you in. We do it just to, to give you a guideline and some guardrails. But the, the, the power is you saying yes to Jesus. You want Jesus in your life? You want to be a Christ follower? You want to go to heaven? You got next two minutes, those three minutes as we sing this song and just say yes to Jesus and God will change your life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to put these on the back table, you guys. If you want to grab one of these on the way out, you can. If not, um, I'll, get, I'll get some better ones for you guys on Sunday. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor, God. Father, we, we ask, Lord, that as we sing this last song, Lord, that as the heart of King David in Psalm 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 139, Jesus, that, that our heart would really be broken for you, God. Lord, that we would find that, that true place of, of, of repentance, whether it's emotional, whether it's practical, and, Lord, but it has to be sincere. And so, God, help us to have a heart in the inward part, as David prayed. God, give me repentance in my inward part. God, if there's anything in our lives that is keeping us from you relationally, God, we pray that you would forgive us, that you would wash us. God, we admit that our sins are are breaking your heart because you love us so much and you don't want to see us do things that are, that are detrimental to ourselves. And God is a good, good father. Your heart breaks when we make bad decisions about our own lives. And so God, forgive us. God, heal us. 
God, show us. And Lord, ultimately, that we want your presence. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your heartbeat next to ours, Lord. And we thank you, Father. And we love you. We thank you for this intimacy. We thank you for this power and this love. And Lord, I pray if somebody needs to get their heart right with Jesus tonight in salvation or just in repentance, that God, then as we sing the next song, that your Holy Spirit would pour out upon them and they would have a, a powerful moment alone with you here in a crowded room. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.